David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. Last time I checked, I'm Elliot Harris, and I see nobody else in the studio, so David Spada is not here. We will give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's a hardworking attorney uh, chasing ambulances or whatever hardworking attorneys do these days. We will try to muddle along without him, do the best we can. I think we have a fairly good show lined up, but that'll be for you folks out there to, to make that judgment on. We have on the show today Ann Myers Drysdale. Some may remember her as Ann Myers, standout basketball player, UCLA, Olympics, professionally, married to former Dodgers right-hander Don Drysdale, whose untimely death that caught everybody by surprise. Anne has found life after all that, is a Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury front office executive, a great ambassador for the sport of basketball, women's, women, easy for me to say, women's and otherwise. She has a, a new book out that we'll be talking about. Also on the show... We have Del Crandall, former big league catcher and manager, and he'll talk about the good old days when uh, he and Henry Aaron and Joe Adcock and Eddie Matthews were teammates with the Milwaukee Braves and actually won a World Series. First up, though, Ann Myers-Drysdale. We're at Allstate Arena with Ann Myers-Drysdale. Now, when people refer to you as a pioneer... Does that make you think like you're 105 years old or something? <laughs> no, it makes me feel grateful that they, they remember me because there were so many women that came before me that were really the real pioneers. And I just happened to come along where the media paid attention to who I was and what I was accomplishing because, you know, there's so many more women that opened the doors for me and uh, they don't get recognized because the media and people don't know the history. So... I'm very grateful for what I'm recognizing. But, and it's not because of you necessarily, sort of the right place at the right time with Title IX coming along, because prior to that, there weren't a whole lot of doors to be opened. No, but I, I have an older sister that opened doors for me, and uh, I read a book in elementary school on Dave Dietrich and Zaharias, a woman that opened up a lot of doors, Althea Gibson, Wilma Rudolph. Uh, so in 72, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary of Title IX, so in 72 when it was signed, I was still doing things that were, the media was paying attention to. In elementary school, I was the first and only girl to play on the elementary school boys after school sports program that my parents had to go to the school district and the teachers to get okay for. And, uh, in an element, and then in junior high, 
and was playing against the boys at, at, at lunchtime and so forth. So, I mean, people knew who I was. I was doing track at the time and uh, was setting some records and things that I was doing. So I was getting written about a little bit, uh, but not to the extent that uh, not only Title IX helped me, Billie Jean King beating Bobby Riggs in 73, the Women's Sports Foundation being uh, created in 1974, 75, I was the first woman to get a full scholarship to UCLA. My brother David was there. So David is playing for Coach John Wooden, and UCLA is nothing but, but college basketball. Right. And so I really believe that myself and, and uh, women's basketball, we were instrumental in the sense of going to UCLA because of my brother, a human interest story that the media took off on, and Coach Wooden validating, you know, not only myself, but women's basketball. Yep. Way back when it was what the AIAW, and uh, but even before that too, started in '69-70 with, with collegiate basketball for women. Right. Um, and in 1982, the NCAA took over for AIAW. But um, you know, my kind of beef, and I've said it on, uh, on air a little bit too when I've been broadcasting, is that if you're going to acknowledge all those coaches that coached in AIAW and acknowledge their wins. And you have to acknowledge the players that participated during that time and credit their records also. And teams, too, which are... You mean they couldn't have won without the players? You mean you need to have somebody like to put on... Like and Delta States and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so those... I, I, I'm trying to work on trying to get them recognized because they absolutely deserve it. Now, growing up, was there much resistance from... The boys that you played against, or their parents, or the coaches, or the administrators? Well, certainly in my time, um, I come from a large family. I have five brothers and five sisters, and I'm in between two you're, brothers. David, you're the middle child? I'm the middle child. Nobody loves me. <laughs> we'll talk about but, that later. Yeah, but I think I'm loved a lot. But, but in saying that, I mean, we were always around the boys playing. Our parents supported their children playing sports, and it was a great energy release. Uh, to go outside and whether we are playing kick the can or over the line or football or basketball, whatever it was. So um, They just wanted you out of the house. They wanted Let's us be out honest. of the house. No. And even, even when we lived here in Chicago um, from the 50s and 60s, we, uh, you know, even during wintertime, we'd be out, you know, throwing snowballs and building, you know, forts and playing out in the snow. I mean, it was just, there was never a time that we weren't outside playing. Uh, then we moved to Southern California back in 64 and uh, it was year round played here around, whatever it was, and uh, I would follow my brothers down to the playgrounds and play, and certainly the boys didn't really want me at first, because I probably wasn't that good, but I had a good work ethic, I think that I got better, better. and uh, certainly having my brother David uh, picking me on his teams, knew that I would play hard. Was it mandatory for him to pick you, or you go home, Mom, Dad, he didn't pick me? Well, not, not first or second, but he didn't pick me, I know that, but, but I know too that... Uh, I couldn't go home and tattle because then you wouldn't get to play. I mean, you better, you know, get your bootstraps up and go out there and uh, take whatever they're going to get. It was natural to gravitate toward basketball as opposed to, say, golf or beach volleyball and things like that? Well, again, when I was little growing up, my dad went to uh, Marquette to play right. basketball. There, and so we were around basketball all the time, there's no question. But we were exposed to a lot of different sports. And when I was growing up, there were not organized sports for young, young girls except maybe swimming and track. Uh, so to be a part of a team with other girls, when I, we moved back out to Southern California, uh, joined a track team. You know, tennis and golf were rich man's With 11 children, they weren't. <laughs> our parents weren't going out to pay, 
you know, right. play those sports. Um, so we, you know, all of us played basketball, all of us, you know, ran track and all of us uh, baseball at a few time. Um, so, I mean, I, I have an older sister that opened so many doors for me. So she was always out playing, so it didn't seem odd for me to go out and play with my brothers either. You're here because the Phoenix Mercury is here to play the Chicago Sky. You're an executive with the Phoenix Mercury, also with the, the Phoenix Suns. Is there a difference dealing with one franchise versus the other? Well, I, I, my goals are completely different, especially when I first came to the Phoenix uh, franchise and uh, being with the Mercury, I was a, a general manager, and so that role has changed now in the vice president. You know, when I was general manager, I was hiring the coaches, drafting the players, scouting, and so forth, and uh, more involved with decision-making and trades and so forth. And, uh, now as the vice president, and even as the vice president of the Suns, we've had a lot of changes in our organization since I've been there on the Suns' side. So I think I've kind of, um, they're not sure what, you know, what, what, Exactly, they would like to do for them, uh, because we've changed so many personnel. But um, you know, I'm involved with the season ticket holders and marketing, and uh, going out in the community, uh, which I think is so important to go out into the community on both sides. And, uh, and I love doing that. So, elite level athletes, men, women, pretty much the same. You know, I really think it is. I mean, you have to treat people with respect, and it's all about relationships, uh, especially when you have new players coming in that are young and. Uh, certainly the salaries are different in the WNBA compared to the NBA. But I think overall, you know, players want to play. They're passionate about what they do and they work hard and uh, it's about winning for their teammates. And so you've got to find those players that want to do that and find all the right pieces that, that fit the puzzle. Now, one of your roles in history is to have signed with the Indiana Pacers and gone to camp with them. What was that like? Well, kind of leading up to that, that people don't know, I was a free agent. I uh, was not drafted, I was signed as a free agent. But uh, we talked about going to UCLA in, in 75, and then in 76, it was the first year they had women's basketball in the Olympics. So I was a part of that team and started when we won the silver medal. Um, and then from there, go to UCLA, you know, I was still at UCLA, and we won a national championship. And I'm hoping to stay amateur for the 1980 Olympics. Uh, but I'm also in the process of the number one draft pick in the new professional women's the WBL. But in those days, you had to stay amateur, not like it is today as a pro. So I don't think a lot of young kids understand the difference between the amateur and the pro in the Olympics. But in saying that, I wanted to go to the AD Olympics and uh, was playing USA basketball. We won the world championships. I was the captain of the teams and uh, had just come back from Russia from the Spartacate Games and received a call from Sam Nassie, the new owner of the Indiana Pacers. Now, at this time, my brother David has already played in the NBA for the Bucks. And, um, and I know a lot of guys in the NBA, both coaches and players and so forth. But, so I had received a lot of recognition during my time at UCLA and my USA basketball days. So uh, Sam Nassi, you know, I, I look at him as a visionary. Uh, certainly publicity was involved. I'd be silly not to admit to that. But um, my whole life I played the game of basketball against guys, and what I was doing was nothing different, even though for a lot of other people it's very difficult for them to understand that. I looked at it as an opportunity of a lifetime that most men don't take. And uh, it's a decision that a lot of people tried to talk me out of it. It's an opportunity that a lot of people feel that I shouldn't have had. And uh, I just, you know, I, I just uh, thought, when else am I going to have a, a chance like this? And it's something that I've done. So I was going to say, how many people get that 
that opportunity presented to them regardless of gender. Exactly. So it was uh, three days, two days. So we had six practices those first three days. And uh, Slick Leonard was, Bobby Leonard was, was the coach. And uh, it was very difficult for him to go along with what the owner wanted to do. And uh, so I think uh, he just went along for how long he ever had to. And, uh, and not me not knowing that, I was just focused on playing. And emotionally, physically, and mentally, was, for me, it was the best I was ever prepared to play the game. So um, I, I didn't make the team uh, after the six practices. Uh, but, you know, part of the book is, says, you know, you let some girl beat you. And, you know, for the guys, it's like if they block my shot, well, it's no big deal. It's, it's only a okay. girl. But if I made a shot, buddies, their right. friends are going, ah, you let some girl beat you. So I think it was uh, tougher on them. And, I I'll, heard that and I'll assume you made some shots during the course of those six I practices. Did. And, I did. And you, you know, yeah. made a steal or two or three or something like that. Yeah. Well, one of the highest compliments was from Jack McCloskey, who was the assistant coach, and said, fundamentally, I was better than half the guys out there. So, um, you know, it was physical, but nothing that I wasn't used to. And uh, But it was amazing, the intensity, because of the media exposure. But it's so funny, because you look back now, and even 10 years after that time, they couldn't find any media information or any film or pictures. And, and yet, people were really crowded there. And now today, you know, because the social media has changed so much, I mean, people have press conferences to say, hey, I've got a class that I'm taking, right. and this is what I'm taking something like that. Was it, do you think you had, you had a better chance then of making an NBA team than, say, a, a woman today would have? You know, Commissioner David Stern made a comment the, a few years ago saying a woman could probably play in the NBA. But in saying that, now that we do have a, a justifiable league, which I think the WBL was a huge part in the history of creating the WNBA, just as some of the other uh, leagues tried and attempted and failed, but those failures make the success of the WNBA. The fact that we do have a, a viable league for the women, you have a Diana Trossi or a Candace Parker or a Elena Deladon, it's got to be somebody that plays a guard. I mean, people have come to me lately and said, well, what about Brittany Griner? Well, she's 6'8", but she's not a 6'8 man that faces the basket, shoots the three, puts the ball on the floor. She's a 6'8 woman in our game that's changed the game with the back of the basket. And uh, it's a little bit slower reacting. And so she'd, she'd have to hit the weight room until well, she had it, biceps it's, upon it's her biceps. It's a different game, but uh, it'd have to be a guard. But what people don't understand is that you, you wouldn't be on the floor most of the games. You'd right. be on the bench. You'd be 10th, 11th, 12th right. player. And so it's not the playing, I think, for any player that could play at that level. It's the isolation of what the media was saying about the innuendos of other players, of wives and girlfriends. And so I think that there is a, a certain kind of respect that you have to have for yourself and not leading out what other, other people are going to say. And I think that that would be the most difficult thing in traveling on the road and uh, being on a team. It's not, you know, where are you going to change? It's not where are you going to take a shower? It's not you're going to take a charge from, well, what they used to ask me, you're going to take a charge from Bob Lanier? <laughs> who, was like, who was like Shaq, but who in that league would take a charge from Bob Lanier? Nobody. I mean, and live to tell about and it. And live to tell about it. So you, I knew how to play the game and so forth. But I think because of the options and the opportunities that the women have today, not only in the WNBA, but to play overseas, that I think they're very satisfied. But, you know, there's always that chance. And uh, who that woman is, I don't know. The viability of the WNBA today... I don't look for it to overtake 
you know, the NBA or anything like that. But is there a viability to the league? Oh, yes. You know, the NBA has 50 years over the WNBA. Right. In 16 seasons, we are way ahead of the NBA from where it was in its 16th season. The hard part is the media compares the WNBA of the NBA today, which is so unfair. And to not take our product and, uh, yes, anything that you start up is is a slow, you know, uh, trying to make it develop. The NBA took 30 years. Not until 1979 did they turn the corner because of Magic and Larry. And, uh, you know, if you look back at those days, and, I mean, when the Lakers came from Minneapolis to Los Angeles in 64, I think it was, 62, something like that, that so they were drawing 2,000 people. Yeah. Some of us can remember when the Lakers were in Minneapolis right. and the Hawks That's were in right. St. Louis and things so, like that. You know, I mean, and that was coming out of the war. The NBA was created coming out of the war, and guys played, and they weren't making those salaries and so forth. So will the women ever make those salaries? I don't know. They've got to bring in more fans and so forth. But our corporate sponsorship, we've got a, a TV package with the ESPN. We have Boost as a major sponsor for all the teams. I know in Phoenix we've got LifeLock as a major sponsor on our jersey. And people were, were critical of that, and yet... You know, the NBA, the NFL. I was going to say, look at the way all, all the jerseys are going They're nowadays. Going that way, looking for corporate sponsorship, and yet Phoenix Mercury, we were the first. So when you're the first, you get, you know, uh, hit upon a little bit. Uh, but it opens the doors for so many other people. And I think this is a viable There's not a young girl today that doesn't know that she can't be a professional basketball player because that's all they know is the WNBA. Well, and to, to me, Title Nine. Yes, it opened the door to to high-level athletes, but but at the same time, it opens it up to the girl who may not have much in the way of athletic skills. But now there's an eight-year-old softball team or an eight-year-old basketball team, and you can have that experience. Whereas when I was growing up, you know, girl, girls didn't play sports. Well, because uh, the finances were not given to girls. Title IX is an education. Title IX is about federal funds going to schools that were equal to both boys and girls, mentally and physically. So what it did was open up the door saying girls are allowed and have permission to have be on the same equal level that the boys are. So scholarships are offered to young girls. And even though it was an education bill, it was based on salary. Even today, 40 years of Title IX, women make 77 cents to the dollar in the job market. Minority women, 10 cents less than that. So are things equal? No, and that's not even talking about sports. So the, the scholarships that are given to young girls today, it absolutely is, is wonderful because now they have the opportunity to get an education through athletics. But the other positive thing, Elliot, is, is the fact that you've got fathers that are having daughters, and they don't know anything different about, hey, my, my daughter's playing sports. Right. I'm going to coach them or whatever. You have husbands running for the race for the cure or whatever with their wives. They are more involved with their wives' activities. Then you have brothers that say, well, I'm playing sports. I wouldn't think anything less if my sister plays sports. Right. I mean, so it's a great attitude that the men have in supporting females in athletics. In your spare time, which you must obviously have an abundance of, because you only have three kids, all in college, you become an author? Right. With a book? Okay. book? Just um, recently yeah. came out? Yeah, I'm excited about the book. And, who's, that, uh, who's that kid on the cover? That's when I had big hair, my big hair days. Those are the 80s perm days. I, I was going to say, that you yeah. must have spent more time on your hair than on your uh, jump <laughs> oh, shot. I know, I know. 
well, I've always had the short hair. You know, the thing is, too, you can get it on Kindle and you can get it on, on, on the audio, which I'm really excited about. As a matter of fact, I played in a golf tournament, a uh, charity golf tournament, a week ago in Los Angeles for the Children's Blind Center. So to know that my book is on audio and you can also listen to that and download it. So, um, you know, social media, again, is so different today. You know, I'm excited about the book. Um, I didn't think that I'd ever write one. I was pretty private, especially after the Pacer tryout, because people thought that I was going to write one right away, and I was adamant about not writing one. But um, the timing just seemed right, not only with, you know, my family, UCLA, the Olympics, uh, my tryout with the Pacers, the broadcasting, meeting Don, talking about my children so you know there, there's so many things and people are always asking me so now they can kind of now, now they can go out and, and buy it and read all about, about it that's right or download it or download yeah welcome to the 21st century right. your kids have the athletic gene of an Ann Myers or a Don Drysdale I mean the combination of the two is says okay they should be able to uh, throw a fastball about 95 miles an hour and uh, all sorts of wonderful stuff. I'll never forget when Doug Rader was here in Chicago with the White Sox, one of the coaches, and uh, um, he was, and I was pregnant with his child down with broadcasting for the White Sox, and Doug said, I want the runt of that litter. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm grateful that, you know, all of our children have participated in sports. Um, I think the shadow of who their parents are and the expectations of others in comparing them to who their parents are, I think uh, they've done very well for themselves. And, and it hasn't always been easy. And uh, But, you know, they've gone on, and uh, sports has been a part of their lives growing up. It always will be, but they've, they've gone on to do other things and, uh, you know, enjoy themselves. So I, I don't believe the numbers, but if, if I do the calculation right, you're 57 years old. I am. What is Google that too. <laughs> I, I needed an abacus to figure it all out. I'm going, but 57 isn't what 57 used to be. I'll say that first and foremost. What, what is life like for you nowadays? Um, well, the book has kept me busy. And, it, it, and the reason the book's kept me busy, not just to talk about my life, but to talk about hope. You know, telling kids that they can do whatever they want to. Don't look back in your life and say, what if? I read a book when I was in elementary school, as I mentioned, on Babe Diedrichs and Zaharias, and it changed my life. And to, to be able to see somebody else that had the same interests that I, I've had more women, and even men come up to me and said, we really enjoyed your book, whether it was about Don, or whether they said, I went through that, you know, you're telling what I went through, and, you know, that touches me. And, uh, and if I can help somebody, and that they can achieve what they want to achieve and, and dream what they want to, then, you know, that makes me very happy. Well, and you, you did become a, a widow at a relatively young age with, with young children, and even in the best of circumstances, that has to be a difficult proposition. Well, certainly with family. I mean, Don's family, my family, uh, supportive friends, and, you know, I, I don't even remember the you know, first two or three years afterwards, but uh, I know it was difficult on the children. And uh, But, you know, again, life's tough for a lot of people. And uh, I've had some very tra tragic things happen. And, you know, to me, that's always been private. It was very difficult to talk about these things because I'm not looking for sympathy. I mean, because I know everybody else goes through tough times. And uh, I thought it was important for the kids always, always to know how grateful 
to be and the things that we have had. And certainly, you know, they did miss out on having fun. But a lot of people have to on the kids and our parents, but they've had so many other good things happen in their lives. Well, and I think one of the lessons is nothing is the end of the world. This isn't a book or a movie. There's always tomorrow. And whether you want to or not, you have to embrace that. You do. And one of the lines I use, and I use this quite a bit when I speak, is failure is not fatal. Success is not final. It's courage that counts. And that was by Winston Churchill in the time of war. It had nothing to do with sports, but it's about life. And uh, how much courage do we all have to get up every day and embrace life? And, you know, Coach Wooden used to always say, make, make each day your masterpiece. So you never know when it's going to be your last. And, uh, you know, so I try to enjoy every day I can. Well, let's hope there's many more days ahead for all of us. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Elliot. Thank you, Ann Myers-Drysdale, for that interview conducted at a Chicago Sky game recently, actually. A wonderful guest. And speaking of wonderful guests, we have another one coming up. Former big league catcher and manager, Del Crandall. Stay tuned. This is Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.